When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jack Burton and the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And tonight we are we are circling back to a slight reference from chapter what thirty? Chapter thirty, yeah. Right, slight reference from chapter thirty, which is Big Trouble in Little China. And Aaron and I have gone back and rewatched the movie. From my own experience, I remember seeing it as a kid. I watched it on HBO, and if uh, you remember HBO, it was one of those programs where you'd end up in the middle somewhere. And for me, I really didn't care to watch it to the end. So I had tons of pieces of Big Trouble in Little China in my head, but I had never seen from the very beginning to the very end. So Wow, look at you. I chumped up my $2.99. I know, right? I'm really, I'm digging deep into the bank account there. And I watched a copy. And uh, uh, strangely enough, I think I actually have seen the entire movie before this time, in pieces. Like, lots of overlap, right? It's like a collage with a crap ton of overlap. But I had seen the entire movie. Like, I remember everything. I just didn't quite remember how it came together. There's a lot of movies that fall into that category for me that, you know, they'd be on, you know, cable television, and you would just catch them, you know, third of the way through, and you would just watch bits and pieces. And they were great to watch that way. Yeah. And, And I would think that this movie... You could pick up at any point, and it would be fine. I, you know, I just, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on, and I, I, I'm not even sure because I was a kid growing up in the '80s. I was in my in my teens, so I, I, I kind of relate to Stranger Things in this in this way because that's the age I was, you know, during that period of time as as portrayed on that show. Uh, but I would sit down and just turn it on and watch this, and it was just, it was just, it was just, um, just kind of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's entertaining garbage. Yes, yes. Like I go back and I look at it now, or I watch it now, and I recognize that there are a lot of attributes that I just didn't get as a kid uh, or, or a, a teen in that period of time. I I didn't get the quotes quite so much. Like it's a very, I don't want to say it's a quotable movie. Like Ghostbusters is quotable because it has these one-liners that are very easy to remember. Big Trouble in Little China has dialogue that is is long and requires memorizing like several sentences or really long ass sentences like that isn't just like simple quotes like ghostbusters you can just easily kick it out what about the twinkie here it's it's yeah exactly exactly what about the twinkie yeah where whereas i think where you're going with this is that in big trouble in little china the quotes are more short dialogue yeah yeah, like you're like, remember that part where he said that thing? Yeah, that was that was cool. And that's, you know, and that's the extent of it because, you know, it's just it's just it's bizarre. And some of these quotes are just off the fucking wall. But they're hilarious when you go like even something like 
I know there's a problem with your face. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, but if you said that to someone, that they they might not get it. You know, Maybe like not. it is it, it is somewhat. It, it felt like it was somewhat. Absurd. I didn't have kids walking around quoting "Big Trouble in Little China" when I was when I when I watched the movie on HBO. <laughs> Keep in mind that back in those days, back I, in the days, it was not as well received as other movies that came out in that period. And, and it has taken time for it to achieve the status that it has today. Yeah, it was, I suppose, kind of a sleeper, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it stuck. It was a hallmark of the 80s because at the time, the style of it was cheesy. It's still cheesy, but it sort of a, captures. It's like a snapshot of some quintessential 80s shit. You could say the same thing about Howard the Duck. Like Howard the Duck is like a really good snapshot of the 80s. And Howard the Duck did not do well and was not received well. But when you think about 80s movies, I mean, you have Ghostbusters, you have your, your top stuff. But when we talk about kind of your cheese out stuff, that really is like a caricature of that period of time. Howard the Duck is a great example of that. Big Trouble in Little China, also a great example of that. Buckaroo Banzai, also a spectacular example of a snapshot of that period of time and in style and dress and just kind of capturing that that period of time. So, I mean, they're, they're literally like, they're there are their own period pieces. Let me put it that way. You know, right down to the hairdos. Yeah. I was thoroughly entertained by this movie in a way that the other movies that we've watched so far for bonus episodes have not quite grabbed. <laughs> well, that's easy to say so far. I know. I <laughs> are, mean, you, are you saying you didn't like THX blah, 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 blah? THX one one three eight. No, whatever. Th this was better than THX one one three eight. And honestly, when it comes to comparing this to Explorers, Explorers mm. could have been the number one slot, but yeah. all but for the last twenty minutes, where it goes, Pee Wee Herman. Right. That being said, this movie doesn't go Pee Wee Herman. It's just right off the bat, it is not. It is not in the race for the Oscars, and you know it. Oh yeah, there's. There's, there's, this is actually, it kind of, it, it kind of reeks of like, um, gremlins, like gremlins. It, we're not talking gremlins too. We're talking about the original, the first gremlins. Cause everything after gremlins one was garbage, absolute yeah. freaking garbage. That shit went Pee Wee Herman fast, but gremlins was at the time it came out, my favorite movie. It's been a way too long since I've seen the original gremlins, but I do kind of remember was Gremlins 2 the one where like they had all those potions? Like there was like the smart gremlin, and then there yeah. was the okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, was the, pretty the gremlins. The Gremlins 2 became the Smurfs, big green fucking Smurfs. You had Brainy Gremlin, you had Slutty Gremlin, you had uh, News Anchor Gremlin. Uh, yeah, it, it became the Smurfs, green Smurfs, and yeah. and that girl that like was traumatized in the first movie that turns into a joke in the second movie. So like it it went from serious to to just total Pee Wee Herman in no time. That's why everything past the first Gremlins is garbage. And I'll even contend today that Gremlins is one of the best, one of the best Christmas movies out there. Second place only to Die Hard. Die right? Hard. Yes. Bingo. Yeah. But focusing back on Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, right, right. Give me your synopsis here of the movie for people who have just not seen this, because it is just a one-word reference in the book. So the reason why we're even talking about this is because in chapter 30, when Wade slash Parzival hacks into the IOI network and gets the files from the star chamber on all the high five, he sees that 
H's real name is listed as Henry Swanson, which he knows is an alias that Jack Burton uses in Big Trouble in Little China. How do you do, ma'am? Henry Swanson's my name, and excitement's my game. Cash or charge? Oh, gosh, cash, I guess. I mean, it's not deductible, is it? <laughs> so that's why we're here today to talk about this fun-filled nugget from the 1980s. And, and since, since we're outside of the chapter, I, I, I don't have really a problem saying this, but I, I think it's interesting that H would use, H used Jack Burton's name, correct? We just said that. No, no he, he used the Henry Swanson alias. He didn't use Jack Burton. Right, 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 right. So Henry Swanson, which is the alias that Jack Burton used. But Jack Burton was a truck driver. Jack Burton mm-hmm. went from place to place. Like his thing was delivering pork. He was, he was literally the Pork Chop Express. He was delivering pigs to Chinatown. And he just traveled around. That was his thing, was that Chinatown was a stop in his travels. And I think it would have been really cool if they had done follow-up movies, if it was successful enough of him going to another place. That's just as crazy. Kind of like shit gets wild wherever Jack Burt stops to sell pigs out of the back of his truck, right? That would have been cool if there had been more movies. Well, do you know (laughs) about the quote-unquote sequel that is potentially being developed? I do. I do. So I know that that it is a sequel, not a prequel, and it is not a remake. And not a remake. And, and for those of you who don't know, it's going to be The Rock. Yeah. Now that I am fucking excited about. You know, I I like the shit that he's in. He doesn't pick crap movies. Uh, and I, I'm curious to see where the story picks up. I get a little bit disappointed when people aren't very original. But I will respect the fact that from what I've read, they were like, no, we are not going to do a remake because we respect the original classic film. Right. Right. I I was really happy about that. They're going to do something original, but they're going to spin it around a a universe. And I'm cool with that. I'm very down with that. I think that will be really neat. And oftentimes I feel like where they try to do remakes, I'm like, look, I, I love the universe. Just tell me more about the universe. Give me more from that universe. Don't. Don't respin the same shit from that universe. Just give me more. Uh, that was one of my biggest gripes about the most recent Ghostbusters that came out was because I wanted more out of that universe than than what they came up with, which was just them respinning it for modern times. And that's potentially a whole other episode. Yeah, but I didn't even watch that film. You didn't. We got to watch it. We've we've got to watch it. We've we've got to watch back to back the original and the new one. Well, back to back. That's just not fair to the remake. <laughs> well, I agree, but you know what though? Let me tell you something. The actresses, I think, did the best they could do. They were funny. I blame the writer and the director for the the second movie. I don't think that the direction they went was very good, and and a lot of the the design elements were kind of shitty. But honestly, the actresses were fantastic. You know, it's your your SNL lineup, and they they were great. They I think they did the best they could with what they were given. But you don't know that because you've not seen that movie. So we're gonna we're gonna have to line the two up and watch them back to back. Another time, though, maybe ah. if there's a Ghostbusters reference that comes up in the following chapters, maybe if we're lucky. Hmm. But big big trouble in Little China. To circle back onto the H thing. It's really neat that H uses that name because H himself, herself in real life, is on the travel, is is constantly moving around, is going from city to city. And as Parzival's looking through the file that they have on H, it basically states, we've got 
H in a number of different cities and different Wi-Fi points that they don't know where H is. That's part of the relief of why, you know, that we don't have to worry about H getting picked up and killed because, you know, H is on the move like Jack Burton. And had I thought about it, had I really picked up on it in the book, had I had a research that that one line nugget of information, I probably would have made a more direct correlation with the fact that H was basically on the road. As I was getting ready for recording today and re re-listening to the film, I wasn't really watching it because I was kind of at work, sort of maybe watching the movie instead or in the corner of my screen. And I was trying to figure out what else about Jack Burton and H go together. What Are there any other things that tie these two characters together, which might have made Jack Burton be more of a model for the H character. And while I didn't really get that far, because I did have to get some work done today, there was that one line in the movie that I'm pretty sure was done by Jack Burton, where he says, son of a bitch must pay. And that reminded me when H and Parzival are talking after the stacks get blown up, and he says, those evil pricks, they're going to pay Z. We're going to make them pay for this. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that is a little that is a little tidbit, isn't it? It feels like it could be, but it, I mean, I don't know. I do tend to grasp for some very vague, loose straws sometimes. Maybe we could dig really deep and analyze more of H's dialogue, although there really isn't that much since the earlier chapters. Yeah, it's, I'm struggling to create sort of a model-like connection there, other than the use of the name. They both have quick reflexes? Sure. I would say that there are times where H's demeanor is similar to that of Jack Burton. Maybe in the book. Like, if we're not talking about the movie... We're definitely not talking the movie. The impression I had of, of H was this... I don't know why I thought red-headed, but this red-headed, spindly, white kid, you know, that was tall and lanky and just happened to be, like, really awesome. Like I never imagined H in the book as somebody who was decked out for fighting, you know, just that he was really good at PVP battles in the Oasis, you know, because it always had sort of this surfer dude kind of feel or vibe to the conversation or the dialogue between them. Right. Yeah. You definitely get that impression when they're in the basement for the first time. Yeah. What's up, amigo? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whoa. whoa hey, dude. Like, Whoa, chillax, bro. Yeah, it's a, you know, maybe I'd imagine something like Bill and Ted. Excellent. Whoa. Be cool to each other. <laughs> Party on, dudes. Yeah. That's that is that's that's not Bill and Ted. I don't think that's Bill that's and Ted. That's Bill and Ted. Is it? Oh, Be I excellent guess it each is. other and party on. Yeah, oh it is. Yeah, it's been a while. Maybe we need to recap that movie. Oh yeah, I, I would do that every day of the week. But yeah, so I kind of compared it to to that, right? I never I never quite imagine it beyond that. So I don't see how in the book the Jack Burton connection is exactly. I mean, even the way Jack Burton talks, like it seems that the motivation for the character of Jack Burton comes right out of who was that old Western hero? John Wayne. He reminds me of John Wayne. There's probably a good reason for that because I think the character was somewhat modeled after John Wayne. You think? It feels like it, like it talks like it, you know? Well, the story was originally done as a Western. Was it? That's what a lot lot of the um, trivia about it says. The script was reworked to be more modern. Fascinating. Okay, so I could kind of see that maybe? 
Like that would make sense to me because because the idea of him riding in on his horse to a town and then shit going crazy. And then at the very end, he's like, you know, basically choosing his horse in the Wild West instead of the woman, which is exactly what he did at the end of the movie here is, you know, he gets in his truck and he goes yeah. and at the end. You know, the, the one gal's like, aren't you even going to kiss her goodbye? And he looks and he goes, no, I'm not. And he walks the fuck out the door. Boom. Just drop the freaking mic. I love you, but I can't be tied to you, baby. I got I got pigs to deliver or something. He doesn't say that, but you get the feel, right? Good for him. Did we did we already give a rundown of the movie? Not really. We didn't really give a summary. Well, let's let's give a summary of the movie. Tell us tell us about the movie. It starts off with Jack and his truck being the crazy, sarcastic talking guy on the CB. Makes his delivery. He meets up with his buddy and gambles a little bit. They do a nothing or double, or double or nothing, as some of us might say. Right. And now his little his little buddy owes him even more money. So then he says, come on, let's just go to the airport. I got to go pick up something, which is kind of weird when this is going. It's like, why are you going to go pick up this lady? So Jack goes with him rather than demands his money or whatever. And, of course, the girl arrives and gets kidnapped by the chinese mafia type people like you do which happens sometimes at airports yeah and people are just not giving a shit they're like whatever so then of course they try to rescue her and then it turns out that this woman has green eyes which this david lopan character kind of needs in order to get back his physical body was that the story i think that's what yeah it was. yeah that's the i mean he's just he's this magician he's this dark mage if you will and he's been cursed to i guess live out i mean he's, he's basically this frail old man but his spirit is who he used to be when he was younger and powerful so he's just a little wrinkled man in a wheelchair and when he's you know transformed into his powerful spiritual self he he can't touch anything, although he can kind of affect the world around him a little bit. But the gist is that he wants his body to match his soul and thus get his body back and be in the real world. He's got to marry a girl with green eyes. And then after marrying her, has to sacrifice her to his God so that he can have a physical body back. In the movie, it makes a point that he's been trapped in this state for like 2,000 years. Yeah. Yeah, he happens to be really old. He doesn't just look like a, a ball sack in a wheelchair. Yeah, he, he, yeah he's really fucking old. But, I mean, 2,000 years, I mean, is green eyes that much of a recessive gene that you don't see it that often? In Chinese women? Well, remember, he does try to get Kim Cattrall on the hook in the end, too. Well, yeah. Um, and I think he was just taking a chance there. Like, she was a second-rate green-eyed girl. But I think the idea here was, like, a green-eyed Chinese woman was incredibly rare, if not nearly impossible. Whereas a green-eyed American gal from other heritage where that's a little bit more common isn't as big a deal. But he was like, oh, it's cool. Two for one. You know, I'll marry one and sacrifice the other. And woo, it'll be awesome. Yeah. Who came up with this plot? Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then... <laughs> and then... He drives, Jack drives his truck into an alleyway where a gang war breaks out between the mafia and evidently the good Chinese mafia. It's like, it's like a turf war. Yeah. And, and that's where look, David Lopin spirit form kind of pops up and his buddies, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, uh, the, the weather girls. no. Um, it's the ninja weather guys, lightning and thunder and rain. The three storms. The three stooges. So 
It, which is funny because, like, they kick butt in the very beginning, but then they really don't kick a whole lot of butt throughout. They start turning into stormtroopers and they miss a lot. Well, well, we'll get there, I guess. So anyhow, so now Jack has to get out of his truck because he's kind of blocked into this alleyway and there's this fight breaking out. There's gunfire, there's knives, people are dying. And he runs for his life only to lose his freaking truck. So now the girls are lost. Now the truck is lost. And it's got to go in and rescue them. It's funny because Jack Burton's kind of forced into this sort of... He's not doing any of this willingly. No, he falls ass backwards into this situation. All he wanted to do was get his $1,148. Yeah. Actually, times two. And then get back in his truck and keep on trucking. Yeah. But he loses his truck. He can't get the money, so he's kind of suckered into this spiritual turf war in Chinatown. That's the movie. It doesn't seem like the kind of turf war you want to be involved in with all this spiritual stuff going on. No, not so much, no. No, no. And then it's... there was that little kind of Muppety thing that shows up. Yeah, the the, the one with the, the big eyes and lots of hair. It looks like a, like a werewolf on steroids and croak. One might say it's a gremlin. No, no, one would not say that. No, gremlins are small, green, and naked. This one was like big and hairy. I saw some uh, website referred to it as Think the Predator and yeah. an orangutan had a baby. That's fucking perfect. That's exactly <laughs> right. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy smokes! That's that just that's nails it. Nails it. Okay. Yes. Imagine that. You're there. So so the movie basically is then him being kind of suckered into rescuing the ladies, and and trying to get his truck back. You know, because also this guy that's it's weird. So the guy that he does this that he's gambling against that that ends up like double or nothing betting his money. Right. Talk about just awkward writing. Like it's this kid that you don't, that he doesn't trust, but he forces him to get in the cab in order to go pick up this gal from the airport. And he ends up sort of pouring out his heart about this gal. It's like, do you guys know each other well enough that you can kind of be on this level and yet not trust each other enough that Jack has to force you to get in his cab and take you to the airport because he doesn't think you'll pay him the $1,000 over a gambling debt. Yeah, and frankly, why is Jack putting up with it? That's a lot of money in 1986 or whatever year this was. And you're just saying he should have just taken the money and run? No, it should have just been like, dude, fuck your airport pickup. I want my money. Yeah. Doesn't, isn't there something there where he's like, in order to get my money, I have to do... Well, he, hold on a second, though. Yeah, he does the airport pickup because he, he doesn't trust that he will get his money. That Because remember when he says, I don't have my money with me, it's back at the other place, and I'll meet you there. And he's like, no, you won't. And he says, well, I got to go to the airport. And he says, well, I'll take you to the airport, and then we'll go back to your place, and then you can pay me my money. But before they can even get back to their place, his truck gets stolen. Doesn't get stolen. He kind of abandons it. Well, he leaves it. But when he goes back, it's gone. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I do that to my car when I go to the grocery store. <laughs> I, w- I would hate to come back to my spot. And the rationale was, well, you abandon it in a parking spot. You know? Yeah. Although, don't be wrong. I kind of like that logic. If I you know, saw a really nice car, I'd be like, somebody just left a really great car in this parking lot. I had to take it. It I must figured, be you know, free because the must... owner's not here. <laughs> So he is kind of suckered into dealing with this. Yeah, and he never walks away from it. He's never just like, you know what? Keep your money. I'm out. I think the truck kind of gets you in. Like, you know, somebody takes your your truck. That's like forty or fifty thousand dollars, right? That's probably more. Probably eighty thousand dollars for a rig. I mean, I don't know. I'm not pricing rigs, but I'm guessing they're expensive. 
Yeah, but he could have been like, you know what? You can deal with your Chinese voodoo shit on your own. I'm going to go find my truck and get out of here. Because really, all this stuff is about helping. It's all helping this his friend. I mean, God, kind you, of. Using the word like, term friend loosely, since uh, that doesn't seem like they're really that great a friend. Yeah, they're not, but they are. It's very weird. Like, it seems that he sees him regular enough on the travel, right? Kind of like, like you've got friends at every port, but because you're always at sea... You only see him once every few years or something. Something like that, yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, there's a familiarity, but not really a personal thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just, I don't know, that the writing was awkward. So he goes to help him find his girlfriend and in the process loses the reporter that's tagging along and she gets stolen. So now the girlfriend and the reporter are gone. Bye-bye. Now they end up preparing for this this battle against Lopan, because Lopan's going to have him hang on a bunch of blades in the middle of the air and touch a ball in the ceiling, and that'll determine whether or not they're cool, I guess. Uh, every time I saw those kind of acrobatic things and the, the silliness of it, I was laughing. I admit, in the office, peek out the corner of my eye, watch, watch one of those scenes where... They're flying through the air, and then somebody grabs a sword and, like, just holds it out, and the guy hits the guy, and he's like, <gasps> and I was entertained. I was entertained. I agree. It was cheesy. Like, I can bitch about the cheese, but it, in reality, it's funny. The lines are goofy. They're so long that they're not memorable. I mean, it's just, it's entertaining because it's goofy. Like, the writers had to really struggle. Like, we're going to stick Jack in a situation where people are flying. They're doing kung fu. Jack don't know kung fu. And Jack's got a gun. And, you know, what are we going to do? Is he going to shoot people? Nah, too easy. Jack's going to run in. He's going to shoot the ceiling. Parts of the ceiling are going to fall and it's going to knock his ass out for five minutes. <laughs> That's how we're going to deal with Jack in the middle of a fight. How is his ass going to keep from getting killed by these these assassins, these ninja gang thugs? Eh, he's going to knock his own shit out. But I'll tell you what, though. Really interesting, because we had talked about in the last episode what you had referenced as Chekhov's gun. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting moment that could have been a Chekhov's gun in the movie. Let's hear it. There's a scene in the movie where, first off, Jack's drank some sort of tea or some shit that allows him to see things that he wouldn't normally be able to see and move like he wouldn't normally be able to move. And he's confronted against Lopan, this sort of emperor wizard. And he throws a knife from his boot at him. Lopan snatches that out of the air and looks at it. And then he whips it back at Jack. And then Jack grabs it out of the air, whips it back at Lopan and kills him. Yeah. I'm sorry if I spoiled the movie for anyone who's listening, because that's where the movie ends. How old is no, this movie now? So fucking old. It's in 1986. Yeah. So so did did it strike you as odd that he could just grab the knife after having been having it been thrown by this sort of black mage that just tossed it crazy fast, ninja black mage, right? And then he grabs it out of the air and whips it back at him and kills him. They made a point during the movie a couple times about Jack's reflexes. Exactly. So. That would have been, I would not have bought that if it weren't for the fact that they made a special point at the very beginning of the movie during the betting scene where he bet Jack that he could split a bottle in half with his knife. And that's the double or nothing scene. Jack's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Sure. Why not? Show me if he can split this in half. And he goes, comes down with this, almost like a, not a hatchet, but like a, not a long knife. It's, it's more like a machete. It's like a fucking machete. Maybe it's a dido. Or, it's a machete. Or a shodo. It was a machete. Okay. And, and he comes down, and rather than shatter the bottle, rather than cut the bottle in half, the bottle pew, just just flips out from underneath the knife towards Jack's face. And Jack quickly, you know, grabs up and snatches it out of the air. 
And he looks at him like, what the hell? He says, I got quick reflexes, some shit like that. I love it when Wang goes like, well, that worked before. Yeah. <laughs> My chi must be out of sorts. I'm horny for this lady that's in route to see me. <laughs> it's the equivalent of what he said. Yeah. He basically like, oh, that's why it didn't work. I'm so distracted. My girlfriend is coming in. Right. Girlfriend he hadn't seen since he was a kid. So so they, they had that moment there where he did have, where he demonstrated quick reflexes. And in, in retrospect, I thought it was interesting because that scene was a setup for how he kills Lopan at the end. Yeah. Otherwise, no one would buy that. So I guess here's the question. Is that a Chekhov's gun or is that really just very well done plot continuity? That's well done plot continuity. What I'm saying is that it could have been a Chekhov's gun. And for those who don't know, the idea of the Chekhov's gun is introducing a plot element and putting, putting emphasis on a plot element and never giving it reason or purpose in the future, or having something happen in the future where it wasn't introduced previously. I'll give you an example. So Chekhov's gun would be this. Let's say I'm in a movie, and you've got a female who goes, she's about to walk out the door, but then realize her hair is just kind of a mess. So she runs upstairs to the bowl and grabs a bobby pin and sticks it carefully nested in her hair, and there's a close-up of the bobby pin in her hair. Now, what that teases is, hey, this bobby pin is important. But imagine, if you will, that you never returned to the bobby pin. You spent the time to go get it, to show and put it in the hair, and then do a close-up on the bobby pin in the hair. But you don't do anything with it. That's a Chekhov's gun. But the flip of that would be that girl gets picked up by the police. And the police get out of the car, and she realizes bad shit's happening outside that's going to threaten the police officer and her in the police car. So, ah, she remembers there's a bobby pin in her hair. She reaches up, pulls the bobby pin out, and unlocks her handcuffs and escapes. Now, if the bobby pin hadn't been introduced, then it would seem odd that all of a sudden there's some shit that's available that she can use to unlock herself. Thus, you have this element that just seems to be coincidentally and conveniently thrown into the story to make it easy to keep going. Yeah, and that's a Chekhov's gun. Both of them are. But if they both exist, then it's not. So the proper movie would be if I show you something and I put emphasis on it in a story and later I, sh later I should come back to that and tell you why that was important. And if I don't do one or the other, then that's a Chekhov's gun. You've got to have both points, the introduction and the purpose. But if you just give purpose without introduction, it seems like you're pulling shit out of your ass. If you give introduction without purpose, it seems like you've left something hanging. You've given something an introduction and you've not come back to it. And I'm saying that this movie was really well put together because it introduced an element, which was his reflexes, and then brought you into a situation where if you didn't have that introduced at the beginning of the movie, it would seem like utter bullshit for him to suddenly be able to catch a knife and throw it when it was thrown back at him. So to that, I give the movie huge props. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. There was a lot of cool things about the movie. There were. Like, some shit was just, like, it It never went... It never, never went, went... Full peewee? Never went full peewee. And it just, it stayed mainline cheese. And the quotes that Jack comes up with are, are, are pretty fucking fantastic. What was one of your favorites? You know... When some wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac grabs you by the neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, he looks you crooked in the eye and asks you if you've paid your dues. You just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail. <laughs> I it, barely got the last of that out. It delivers. 
it just it's it's such a long fucking quote. Like I had to read it. Like I've got the quotes up on my screen because all of the quotes are funny as shit, either by themselves or or out of context. <laughs> One of the ones that I wrote down was when they're walking around in that kind of trying to look for the girls or whatever. And Jack points to the the Chinese writing on the elevator or something like that. And he says, what does that say? And then Wang says something in Chinese that says, hell of boiling oil. And Jack goes, you're kidding. And then Wang says, yeah, I am. It says keep out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little shit like that. Like there's a little little back and forth dialogue. And the thing is like they're sort of in a bit of a life or death situation and they're still being goofballs. I fucking love it. Some of those quotes just feel like they go nowhere. Like there's a lot of buildup and then it's nothing like, okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort, keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. (laughs) That's, that's your line. That's how you're going to end this. If we're not back by dawn, wait another hour. I think one of my other favorites, which I happened to catch again today and just got me laughing. They're in that elevator. Feel pretty good. (laughs) I'm not, uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of feel kind of invincible. <laughs> me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. <laughs> is it getting hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> what? what? <sighs> it it's it, it it is a good movie. And like the lines the most classic of the lines are delivered by Jack. So my hope is that the new movie that's coming out, Big Trouble in Little China, the follow-up, the sequel to this, kind of holds true to that, like has a character that has similar kinds of lines and is thrown into this weird situation. It needs to be artfully written. And it can't be some stupid, cheesy name like Big Trouble in Little Italy. Oh, that would be horrible. No, it's it? got to be Big Trouble in Little China. It's got to be someone else comes into town and this is a mystical magical town and they're going to have something weird happen that that involves you watch it's going to be it's a whole different situation but it, it's still going to be Chinatown San Francisco hope so yeah well i hope so i mean don't be wrong like i would have liked something that followed jack burton along or it would be really cool if they kind of looped jack burton in you know or something like he, I, like, I don't i don't like I he's 70 years old how. and he's still trucking yeah or you know he's 70 years old and he's he's telling these stories to his kids and what just remember what your grandpa does when the earthquakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake yeah jack bird just looked at big old storm right square in the eye and said give me your best shot pal i can take it and you see a little a little dwayne johnson just staring up at grandpa like he's a god and then you know boom cut to dwayne johnson being you know older and being a truck driver just like his grandpa and end up having to take some shit to Chinatown and then going through his own adventure. Like, that, that shit would be fucking awesome, in my mind. It could be awesome. Could be. It could be. It could be. Did you find it interesting in the context of Ready Player One that the sorcerer's name is Egg? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't even make that connection, dude. <laughs> I I don't think there's a hard connection here. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, ah, his name is Egg. I love that you caught that. And the fact that Egg was sort of Chinatown's mystic, if you will, or esoteric mystic, even though he was still a tourist bus driver, right? So it's very out in the open. He has sort of two lives. And it is very much like Halliday had two lives. He had his public life, which was not nearly as grandiose, I suppose, as his life in the Oasis. 
whereas Egg had his life as a tour bus driver. But then his other life is this sort of esoteric magical warrior. And it, it's just interesting that you brought that up because now, of course, the comparisons come forth. And when you look at Halliday and his persona in the Oasis, his persona in the Oasis is this mystical warrior of a sort, you know, sort of all powerful, mm -hmm. if you will. So, no, it didn't hit me <laughs> Not until you just said it. I've got another one for you. Oh, no. So Egg Chen's office yeah. is Fire Station 23, the same building used as the interior of the Ghostbusters. No. But that was New York. Internet says it's true. Okay. All right. All right. All right. This, I'm going to, I'm not calling bullshit, but I, I got to do some personal deep research to, to bridge the gap of disbelief. So Firehouse, what was it again? 50 what? Fire Station 23. Fire Station 23. God bless the interwebs. Big trouble in Little China. There's a, well, there's a Fire Station 23 in Los Angeles. Ghostbusters, <laughs> big trouble in Little China. Hold on a minute. The connections are coming. So yeah, it, the and Fire this... Station's in Los Angeles. That that was used for the interior shots, but the exterior oh. of the building is in New York. Uh, there it is. The Firehouse in Los Angeles was closed in 1960, but became a popular filming location after it was used for the interior of the Ghostbusters headquarters in 1984. Nice. A short list of things filmed there since includes Big Trouble in Little China, The Mask, Flatliners, the adult film Flashpoint, and TV shows The A-Team and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 1980. Uh, you know what? That's That's got to go on my bucket list. To go visit this? Yes. Yeah, I think so. So, no, I totally did not know that. I don't know it either, but the internet really helped. That's a freaking trip. Wow. No, I didn't catch that. I did not catch that, that that was the interior of... I, I'm surprised I didn't catch that. That would be so obvious. Now you have to watch it again. Yeah, God, no, probably not. Yeah, probably so. At least that part. At least that part. That you can probably just find on the YouTubes. Since you, yeah. since you don't... You rented it, so now you probably don't have access anymore. Well, you're right. What you're, what you're really saying is I don't want to spend another three bucks to find that one piece. And you'd be correct. <laughs> I do not. Uh, so what else did you find? Any other digging? Well, I mean, like, this is all stuff that any anybody could find. But one of the, the facts I thought was interesting was that Kurt Russell had turned down the role of Connor McCloud from Highlander to be in this film. Oh, probably better off. I guess here's the question. What do you what do you think has a better cult film classic status? Highlander or Big Trouble in Little China? Definitely Highlander. Highlander is by far a better cult classic. At least the first one. Follow-up movies, not so much. I wasn't but the asking TV about show, the follow-up. I was asking about... I, I know. I know cult, cult, I know. cult following. And then the television show that spawned after the fact did fantastic and has a cult cult following. It's, it's a... Yeah, it's it's a classic. It is definitely a classic. I think um, I think it is a, a better film than Big Trouble in Little China, but it is also a different film. It's a very different film. Yeah, so it's it's hard to compare the two, but I think there's a far larger following of of people for Highlander, the first movie. It is Artemis's favorite film, and I understand why. It was it was kick ass, and you know, part of the soundtrack had Queen on it. I mean, it was just fantastic. Although at points might have taken itself a little too seriously, but it was a good story. I was entertained. I could watch that today and be just as entertained, I think, 
Like, I would be willing to watch that today. If it was on TV, I'd sit and watch it. I think I watched it like a year ago, obviously because of its status in the book. I remember parts of it were fine. Other parts were kind of like a little tough to get through. Yeah, like there are parts that were slow. There were parts that were slow. Like the first time or third time you watched it, it was still good. You know, 12th or 13th time, mm, things get a little slow. But you've got Immortals. You've got dudes chopping off people's heads. You've got this sort of intergalactic competition being held on Earth. You've got a little bit of a romance story. It's just a fucking cool story. <laughs> you know, and on top of that, whenever somebody takes another person's head, they like get their energy and lightning zaps the fuck out of them. And it's just could totally cool. Happen. Totally cool. And the fact that it kind of jumps back in time to, to give you a, a little bit of backstory rather than tell you the backstory, they show it to you. I love that in a movie. Anyhow, back to China. I've said it a couple of times. I will say it again. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought I was going to end up being bored or wondering. I, I guess because they're kind of related, I'll bring up Buckaroo Banzai. Mm-hmm. Because I watched that when it was on, I think, I forget if it was on Hulu or whatever. But I could not get into that movie. But this movie, I dug it. It's it's a fun movie to watch every decade. <laughs> once once every 10 years, maybe. Yeah, in comparison to the stuff that we have watched, like THX 11, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, this, this is, uh, it's refreshing. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's a miraculous film. It is uh, absolute Hollywood gold. It wins an Oscar from my heart. It does. Yeah, well, in comparison to THX 11, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic. And I'm just so glad that I got to watch this versus another THX something or other. THX 1139. Whatever. Yeah, it's that's how much I care about it. So, uh, <laughs> no. No, it is, it's a good movie in its own right. It's fun to watch. It doesn't go full Pee Wee Herman at any point. And the characters are laughable. And each character is original enough to have its own personality that if I could compare this movie and Buckaroo Banzai is that both movies have very distinct characters. They have a lot of characters, but they're very distinct. Like when you think about the characters in Big Trouble in Little China, there's like 12 very distinct characters. Normally movies focus on two, maybe three people tops really, of distinct characters. This had like 12. Yeah, it really did. And they were distinctly different personalities, no matter how much screen time they had. You know, there was, you know, obviously Jack and Lopan. There was the... Uh, was Wang. Uh, Wang. There was the, the three... There was Gr- Gracie Law. The three storm dudes, three storm ninjas. Gracie Law. There was the Gracie Law friend. Yeah, I forget what Whose name. name I don't even remember, but she was distinctly different. She was like, friend of chick yeah she did feel like a tack on though well a little bit but she you would not confuse her with gracie would you no i'm not not saying you would uh, you know it, all the characters felt like they were these sort of distinct human cartoons margo margo thank you it's we, we should not be sliding margo uh, but you know it, these were very distinct characters right and you could say the same about buckaroo bonsai like all the characters in buckaroo bonsai are very distinct yeah but they weren't funny they weren't entertaining uh, i agree it's a very different movie i'm just saying that the, the, the two movies share that in common probably like wants to ask ernest klein like 
why do you think that movie is so great? I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, but I think maybe it just hit me at the wrong time. Maybe maybe there is a. I think that the same could be said about Rocky Horror. Uh, that one, uh, that one kind of resonates with me just because of when I was first watched it and. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I think there's a camaraderie that accentuates the movie. That if you don't have the camaraderie that's associated with the movie, if you hadn't gone to the theater or you weren't aware that there's a sort of crowd participation level, that it it hits you. It can hit you very flatly, and it can come out as the kind of movie that it is, which is kind of you know weird and and a bit flat. But what makes it fun is being with your friends and watching this movie and making fun of it but not putting it down if that makes any sense like you're having fun with the movie not i guess at the expense of the movie but it's hard to say that when some some of the commentary is at the expense of the movie mm. but that's kind of what makes it endearing right yeah uh so i think i got to wonder if buckaroo bonsai isn't along that same vein that it it hit a certain audience in a certain way at a certain time where people who watched the movie could kind of connect. Yeah, maybe you had to have seen it in a certain time of your life, and I'm many years beyond that, so, oh well. Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel the same about some some 80 movies that, that are considered classics that I look at and go, I, I just don't get. I, I would say that, uh, bless, what was the high school one? Fast Times at Ridgemont High? No, the other one. You know, it's the one with all the kids go to detention, oh, and yeah, then they have Breakfast the nerd... Club. Breakfast Club. And then they had the nerdy kid write the uh, the reason why that they weren't going to all write something. Why they all stink. Yeah, I, I always thought that was kind of a shitty. Is that everybody else gets to fuck off, and then the one nerdy kid has to write the paper. And he loves doing it. I guess. That just seemed like a slight to me. It's like, what? Why? Anyhow, that's a different movie. It's a different gripe. We may we may have to rewatch that, too. Before we depart, I just want to point out that David Lopan, mm-hmm. that actor, was also in Blade Runner. Was he one of the council members? In Blade Runner? Yeah. He was Hannibal Chu. I think he was the guy in the freezer, I think. Oh, the guy in the freezer. Oh, oh. The guy who creates oh. the eyes for the replicants. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I remember now. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Blade Runner. That's funny as hell. See, when you said Blade Runner, I just heard Blade. <laughs> and I'm like, Blade? He was in Blade? <laughs> Blade Runner. Yeah, there we go. The guy that makes the eyeballs. The first time I saw this actor and anything notable was actually in Seinfeld. What did he do? Uh, the the very classic episode of Seinfeld, the Chinese restaurant. He was the host or Mater D. Okay. All right. Uh, four. <laughs> Seinfeld. Four. I'll be five, ten minutes. That's what I first knew him from. Oh, see, I, I've not watched a lot of Seinfeld. <gasps> that should be the next I know. podcast. So I do not find Seinfeld all that funny. I don't think he's a bad person. I just, I don't think he's funny. I think it's funnier that I don't find him funny. Let me put it that way. Uh, I guess you're allowed. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's a matter of taste. But, all right, so let's wrap it up. I think if I was to give this movie a rating overall, I would give it a, a solid seven. I was going to go with an eight. All right. So right around there. All right. It, it, I would say that there are other John Carpenter films that I en- might enjoy a little more, that are, or rather that I would watch more frequently. Like what? Like They Live. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was thinking maybe you'd say Thing. I've never seen Thing. Ah, uh, there's nothing funny about Thing. Nope. It's cold. Um, it's interesting. Saying something's interesting is like not, <laughs> that's not a good news for that thing. It's interesting it's a neat concept and uh, they did a really good job of executing it as sort of like a, a suspenseful horror movie i would definitely recommend watching it once and only once but i'll leave it to you afterwards 
<laughs> after you've spent the two dollars and ninety nine cents. Ah, uh, two dollars and ninety nine cents. I know it's rough, man. Anyhow, let's wrap it up. Good movie. Glad it was referenced. I liked the tie-in and the hook to the book. It was all good stuff. Fantastic. It gets what a positive rating in whatever metric you use, whether it's thumbs up or stars. If we haven't ruined it for you already, go watch it. Yeah, go watch it. It's a, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. If you've never seen it, then just forget everything we just said and then go watch it. Yep. Yeah. Anyhow. All right. Let's tie it up. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we will catch you in the next episode of Get to the Good Part. See ya. Love these fucking quotes. Isn't it great? <laughs> Dude, love the, I love some of these quotes. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. <laughs> it was tying, what the hell did, he was tying what it, it in mean? from the get-go. What does it mean? Like, why? Besides, it's all in the reflexes. I never drive faster than I can see. Besides, it's all in the reflexes. Because if something well, then, pops in front of his car, he's got to move out of the way. That's reflexes. Well, then why would it matter if he never drives faster than he can sees? It should be the other way around. It should say, I, I always drive faster than I can see. Besides, it's all in the reflexes. Like, it doesn't matter how fast I drive. It's all in the reflexes. He's saying, I drive slowly. Besides, it's all in the reflexes. <laughs> It's, it's it's quotes like that that you just you're like well, wait what the fuck did he say that that almost made sense but then it took a left turn everybody relax I'm here <laughs> <laughs> cocky bastard <laughs> you can go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave or check into a psycho ward whichever comes first huh what what <laughs> sooner or later it's, it's... I rub everybody the wrong way. Oh, you're right. There's there's one. There's another question. Would you stop rubbing your body up against mine? Because it can't concentrate when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you know, here's a great here's a great quote that I would love to be able to. I'm going to try and integrate this into my my workspace tomorrow. We really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wayne? <laughs> That's funny on so many levels. I mean, that is a line that I think I might be able to use at work. That's definitely a line that I could use if I was a porn star. Yeah, you can make it happen. Yeah. Oh, there, there's, there it is. It's, what does that say? Hell of boiling oil. You're kidding. Yeah, I am. It says keep out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Margo says, God, aren't you even going to kiss her goodbye? And Jack says, nope. <laughs> what? It's just like you've got this moment for, for a, a classic sort of punchline, and it just falls. It, <laughs> oh my god oh there it is son of a bitch must pay uh there's jack there we go there's the, there's the quote where jack burton says uh harry swanson's my name and excitement's my game <laughs> cash or charge oh gosh cash i guess i mean it's not deductible is it <laughs> and he's talking about hiring prostitutes and, it, and he's dressed like like clark kent oh like a, like a like as if like a cross between a uh, a really cheesy car salesman out of the 80s and Clark Kent, glasses and all. Even like the hairstyle, right? Yeah. It would be as if Clark Kent went to go go to a 
a brothel and, and order up ladies. It, it was awkward like that. In this movie, he says that he was born ready. Is that where that quote came from? I was born I ready? Don't, I, I don't know, but I hope not. Like I, I'd, I'd hope that there is a better place for that phrase to have been birthed from. Speaking of born. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I want to tell you about an accident. and I don't want to hear act of God. <laughs> oh, bless. They're just, he has great lines. They're just, you know, they're just cheesy. They're, they're, they fall just shy of classic, and that's what makes it funny. I'm just, I'm just searching through the quotes here. I'm watching a, <sighs> a super cut on YouTube of all the times I was born ready was used. The third one, wow. the third one is Big Trouble in Little China. Were the first two The first two younger? were, um, I think, Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Is that the one with Burt Reynolds and with the... Sally Field? Yeah. yeah. Smoking the Bandit, 1977. So, yeah. Although, interestingly enough, Smoking the Bandit was about a guy driving a lead car so that a truck and truck driver could basically hightail it through states in order to deliver beer as fast as possible. So, potentially an interesting nod to that, you know, truck driver movie to truck driver movie, sort of, you know. All right, here's the thing. The one thing I did not like about Big Trouble in Little China, or my biggest complaint, not enough. Not enough Jack. Not enough of him talking. Not enough dialogue from him. Yeah, you can see getting a little bit more. Because, uh, like, you do kind of, if there's one thing you want more of, it's more of that bravado and the demeanor. Yeah, more goofy bravado. That's that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> so Uncle Chu says, China is here, Mr. Burton. The Chang Sing, the Wing Kong. They've been fighting for centuries. I guess those are the those are the the turf turf war peeps. This is what the hell does that mean, huh? China is here. I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this low pan character comes out of thin air in the middle of goddamn alley while his buddies are flying around on wire cutting up everybody to shreds, and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Again, not enough Jack. And just the the physical comedy of it was also just great. Yeah, it was. It was. You just listen to the old pork chop express here now and take his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down in sheets thick as lead. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. <laughs>